I'm so excited to get to deliver the message this morning. Uh, Pastor David is in, actually he's probably on his way back from Kansas right now. He was in Kansas yesterday doing a wedding, and, um, and so pray for him, pray for safety as they drive back, and still probably have about five or six hours left in their trip. But, um, but we're going to be studying through the Beatitudes this morning. We're back in Matthew chapter 5, so if you can grab your Bibles open up there for us. Um, you know, I've, been, I've had the joy, as the youth know and the youth leaders know, of teaching through the Sermon on the Mount here on Wednesday nights. We've been in the midst of that for a little over three months now. And um, man, it's just so packed with wisdom and beauty and the knowledge of God that should be our, our top pursuit to glorify God, and how do we do that? We, we understand His wisdom, His truth, His knowledge, so that it can transform us through His Word. So I hope you guys are in His Word every single day. But um, like I said, three months we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and just within the last few weeks have we gotten into the second chapter, Matthew chapter 6, because it's just so full. And it might seem like we're going really slowly, but for me, I kind of feel like I'm rushing through it. I wish I would slow down a little bit, and I should take a lesson from Pastor David that we just do one verse every week. So here we are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 this week, and it's important, I think, for us to understand that this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus is something that we should be just diving into. You know, this is the longest, most comprehensive sermon that we see in Scripture by from Jesus when he was here on earth in flesh that he gave to us as his people. And so when we want to understand like what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, verse we all know really well, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And then later on in that same chapter, John chapter 14, verse 15, he makes an interesting statement that he says, if you love me, You will obey me. What do these deep, full, mysterious statements mean? Well, the the way we can know is by going into the Word of God, studying what did Jesus tell us. And a lot of what he says in the Sermon on the Mount is difficult to understand. It takes a lot of like processing, working through. I mean, sometimes I'll talk for too long, 45 minutes, just on one little point, you know, because I want us to understand What did Jesus mean when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? And so, you know, as we look at the verse today that's up on the screen, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. To understand the fullness of this statement, we need to understand the main word in that that statement there, righteousness. Righteousness. And to understand righteousness, we as his body need to understand what fulfillment means. Because that's what righteousness is centered around. That's the underlying theme of the entire New Testament, is fulfillment. The entire New Testament centers around that theme, and that is what ushers in the glory of God. Now I want to take a second and kind of set the stage a little bit as we get into the gospel that Matthew wrote. But before we do that, if you guys are okay, I want to take a second to pray because I want God to be glorified. Let's pray together. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your truth and Your Word that You've chosen to reveal to us, Lord. Um, I pray that You would help me to set aside my plans, my expectations as we get into Your Word here, Lord, that if You if you want to speak and say something differently, Lord, I pray that you would awaken my heart to be able to hear what your spirit is guiding us to. Uh, you have full authority now. Uh, we are studying your word and we are worshiping you through song and through the gathering of t- together, Lord, and submitting ourselves to your authority. And I come under that authority as well, Lord. I just ask that uh, you know that I've prepared and um, I pray that you are glorified and that your mighty and holy name is lifted up, that you give us each ears to hear, hearts to receive your message, Lord, and that you are glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys hopefully are there opening to Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to be kind of floating around there. We're going to go to the book of Ezekiel as well, but I wanted to set the stage a little bit because we have to understand that the gospel that Matthew wrote When he wrote it, Matthew was a tax collector, and he wrote this to first century Jews. This was intended to speak to Jewish believers who understood the law and the prophets, had a wealth of knowledge of the prophecy, the promises that God had made to his people. And that's why he lays things out the way he has in his gospel, because he wanted that gospel message of fulfillment to get into their hearts so that they would believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And so, you know, for over 400 years leading up to this, um, the people of God had not heard from him. They had not heard from him. 400 years. I mean, it's hard for us to even imagine that. But for 400 years, people had been living, studying the scriptures, but had not heard a word from God, a prophecy. And so they're scattered, they're lost, they're, they're operating under a corrupt and legalistic, legalistic system based on the law of Moses. And they're, they're being ruled by Ro- Roman dictators who they worship a host of false gods. And so society is a mess. The worship of the one true God is a mess. And, you know, the most, the most common people, the Gentiles especially, were, were those that were outside the Jewish race and they were mistreated. They were told, you know, if you want to be right with God, you've got to worship in a certain way. You've got to worship in a certain place in Jerusalem. And you've got to purchase these certain sacrifices because nothing else will make you right with God. Nothing else will make you righteous. And so it's into this mess that our Messiah is born, Jesus. And so, you know, as we look into Matthew's gospel, he wants to... You know, if you're familiar with it, these will be real familiar, but we see that it starts with what? With the genealogy showing that Jesus is the Christ, born in that lineage there. Then we remember the story of the virgin birth of Jesus, right? The flight of Egypt into Egypt where Joseph and Mary take Jesus to Egypt to what? To escape Herod's murderous rampage because he's heard that there's a king coming to take his place. And so then John the Baptist shows up, and he's proclaiming in the, in the wilderness, you know, prepare the way for the Lord. And then Jesus comes to be baptized by John, right? And then following that, Jesus is immediately taken by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And so then right after that, after those 40 days, 
Jesus comes back and he begins to proclaim the kingdom. He makes a proclamation about the kingdom. And all of this, again, I want to reiterate, all of those things I just said, Matthew put in his gospel because he wanted those Jewish believers and us today to hear and believe. God made these promises and now he is fulfilling them in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And all of this is essential to our understanding of, of righteousness. So look real quickly at Matthew chapter 4. You're in Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew 4, verse 17. It says right there, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we know that this is just an echo of what we heard in the previous chapter from who? Who said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near? John the Baptist, right? So Jesus is picking up that, what John the Baptist paved the way, and he's saying, hey, listen to me. I'm saying the same thing as John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, my kingdom, is near. And so as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, we need to know Jesus is gathering his disciples to himself, and he's teaching them, and they're asking questions like, well, what does this kingdom look like? And how do we behave? How do we live in the kingdom that you're proclaiming. And so Jesus begins with what we know as the Beatitudes, right? And he's talking about the blessings. He says, what first? You must come. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Basically, you must come to my kingdom as a beggar who's poor in spirit. And then you must mourn over your sin. You must be meek if you want to inherit the earth. And then where we are today And now Jesus states in verse 6 that we must hunger and thirst for righteousness if we want to be filled. Righteousness. Now, all of us probably have a passing knowledge of righteousness. That's one of those words that we use a whole lot in church. You know, how many many of you guys hear that almost every time you open the Scriptures? You hear righteous, righteousness. But I'm hoping that today as I teach through this that we'll all get a little deeper knowledge of what that word actually means. I know I did as I was studying through this. Um, I, wanna, I want us to look, so you're in, in verse four, I mean in chapter 4 there. Flip forward to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, because Jesus makes a very interesting statement about righteousness right there. Verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to make something very clear. Apart from Christ, we can do righteous acts. We can do good works. But that's not at all what Jesus is talking about right there. He's not talking about our righteous acts, our works that we can do, because our righteous acts, basically he's not saying, hey, You know those teachers of the law, those scribes, those Pharisees over there that are doing everything they can to follow the law of Moses? They're the most righteous people that you know, right? Okay, well, if you want to be in my kingdom, you need to follow the law better than they do. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. And if that's what you've thought, it's a total misunderstanding. Okay, what he is referring to there is his righteousness. His righteousness. And that is the righteousness that is imputed to us those of us who have faith and believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as our Savior. He's saying, you must put on my righteousness if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And his righteousness is perfect. Amen? Thank you, Dwayne. So, anyway, no, uh, the righteousness that we would try and set before God, those righteous acts, Isaiah 64 makes it very clear that those righteous acts before a holy God are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. There, and a lot of you might know this, that that was, uh, that was an indication of like the rags that a woman would use during her time of the month. So that's what we try and lay that before God. We say, hey, look at all this good stuff I've done. He's like, that's filth. You need to put on the righteousness of Christ if you want to enter my kingdom. Now, I want to talk just a minute about over the last couple of years, my wife and I have been really convicted over not sharing our faith. How many of you have been approached by someone in your life, by someone that came up to you and shared the gospel? Some Is that a regular occurrence? Guys, we are the deliverers of that truth. We deliver that truth. And so I've been convicted over the last couple of years of like, I thought I was sharing the gospel. I was trying to, you know, share the truth of God. But hardly at all would I ever stop face to face and say, I want to talk with you about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because through that experience, I've heard a lot of different responses from people when I ask them. I use, uh, I, uh, my wife and I use Ray Comfort's way of sharing the gospel through his Living Waters ministry, where we'll basically start off the conversation real simple, where we'll ask, hey, what do you think happens when we die? What do you think happens when we die? And that's an amazing question because everybody wants to talk about that. I've never had one person that goes, hey, you know what, I don't even want to talk about that. No, they're like, they have an opinion. Their opinion is usually wrong, but they have an opinion. They have an opinion. And so we'll get into the conversation then about heaven and hell. And, of course, I try and steer it to, well, well you want to go to heaven, don't we? we want, everybody wants to go to heaven versus hell. How do we get to heaven? How do we get to heaven? The number one answer that I hear all the time is what? Be a good person. Do good things. Go to church. Okay, First Baptist Church, Kingsland. That's not the answer. I'll talk to people about the gospel. They give me that answer. We start talking, and I explain the gospel to them, and they go, oh, I go to church. I go to church. Oh, yeah, I've been baptized. I'm like, what are you doing? You're telling me you can get to heaven by being a good person? Jesus says right here, we just read it. We just read it. Your righteousness must be perfect. So if you're trying to get there with your good works... You're on the wrong path. You're on the wide path, Jesus would say, that leads to destruction. The answer is, I have faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and it's, his, it's for his glory and his righteousness that pays the penalty of my sin. That's it. That's the only reason why I'm going to heaven. Okay? Please, let's give the right answer. We've given the wrong answer too often. So this week, I, I did a ton of research about righteousness. I, so what happened, here's a little explanation, backstory of what happened. So I knew I was going to preach a couple of months ago. Uh, David had told me in a staff meeting, and so I was like, oh, okay, and, and then found out he was going to be preaching through the Beatitudes, and, and then I did the calculations. I was like, oh, okay, well, by, you know, where I see where you're going to go, I'm going to be preaching on mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. I had already taught the youth on merciful and taught all about that. I was like, oh, man, I already have everything together. I've got like a video clip. It's going to be so awesome. God's going to be glorified. And then two weeks ago, what happened? 
David Scarborough down. So we got to listen to my dad preach. Wonderful sermon about the, the importance of truth, that truth matters. But here we've gotten off a little bit from my plans, and we're here in righteousness. Okay? So I've spent the last couple of weeks really studying about righteousness. You know, I wanted to understand that. I take it seriously. What we're doing right now is worship. We are worshiping a holy God. I'm getting to be a mouthpiece to explain and, and, and go through his word, but we are worshiping as his body, and I take it seriously. So I looked up, I was like, okay, well, what's the Hebrew word for righteousness, which is zadik, zadik? I looked up the Greek word for righteousness, which is dikausune, dikausune, if you remember to look that up. I don't know, that does, probably doesn't mean anything to you guys, but I was like, I, I need to know at least what the original writers, what they wrote on that page. I wanted to know how many times it appeared in the Bible. It appears 118 times in the Old Testament, 92 times in the New Testament. wanted to know how is it defined, how, how have like, scholars defined it in the past, and how did the biblical authors, when they wrote that word down, how would they have defined it? And so I have a definition um, for righteousness that I found in the Holman Bible Dictionary. And so flip forward a couple of slides. Here's, the diction, here's what the Holman Bible Dictionary says. It says, for biblical authors, righteousness is the fulfillment of the terms of a covenant between God and humanity. Think about that. Righteousness is the fulfillment of the terms of a covenant between God and humanity. A covenant. What co- what, so what covenant would they be referring to here? I, I propose that they're referring to all of the covenants in the Bible. All of them are what Christ has fulfilled. More specifically, all the covenants point to Jesus Christ. Any part of the covenants, if you look through, if, you're, if you do a study on the covenants, any part that we as human beings were responsible for, we messed it all up. We totally messed it up. But more specifically, listen, I've got a list. Jesus is Adam's offspring that crushes the head of the serpent. Jesus is the righteous seed from Abraham's family line. Jesus is the Hebrew descendant that followed the Mosaic law perfectly. He's the rightful descendant of King David that's sitting on his throne. And most importantly, he's the perfect lamb who became a curse for us, paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be cleansed from our iniquities and receive a new heart and a new spirit that he promised us in the new covenant. Let's read about the new covenant. Yes, let's read about the new covenant. You guys turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 30. 6, verse 22. So flip back. Ezekiel chapter 36. You'll be flipping back through the Old Testament. You'll get to probably to Daniel. And then right after Daniel, as you're flipping to the left, you'll get to the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet of the Hebrew nation, and he delivered the Word of God. It says over and over that he was visited by the Word of God. And what God was doing was proclaiming, uh, at that time, Israel was in exile. 
in, under Babylon, and they were in, in exile, and his people were wondering, what did we do? What happened? And so Ezekiel was delivering these prophetic messages to them. A lot of it's hard, like, you guys are terrible. This is why this judgment is coming upon you. But then in chapter 36, we hear like amaze, an amazing declaration of the new covenant that was for those Hebrew people, but also for the true house of Israel, which we are a part of through the teachings of the New Testament, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know we are a part of that. But verse 22, so is everybody there? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. I'm just going to read a little bit to you. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you with clean water. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I, give, I gave to your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. So who did all of that? Who did it? God did it. He fulfills that new covenant. And this is what Jesus accomplished for us. This is the glory of God. Do you see the definition? Righteousness is the fulfillment of the terms of a covenant between God and humanity. This should be a huge motivation for us for the Great Commission, right? Turn with me. Flip forward to 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5. This is a verse that we know very well, but I want you to hear it now in this context of righteousness, our understanding. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. We become the evidence that God has fulfilled the covenant that I just read. By the way, what? By the way the Spirit moves us to live our lives, to obey Him. Now do you understand Jesus' word when He says, if you love me, you will obey me. Why? Because if you love me, you've got a new heart. 
My spirit is in you. I'm going to move you to obey my laws and my commands, right? And you are going to be the evidence of my righteousness, right? And so in the same way, we should hunger and thirst for that, right? We should know that Jesus has fulfilled that. So I know I'm having you guys flip all around. Hold your place there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But go back to Matthew chapter 3 because I want you to hear how important it was to Jesus to fulfill these promises that God had given in the Old Testament. A lot of us know that interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist whenever he was um, going to uh, baptize him and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. But listen to what happens right before that. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John did what? John would have permitted, pre- prevented him, saying, well, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? But listen how Jesus answers him. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, hey, God, we made a promise, and this is what needs to happen if we want to fulfill that promise. And so what is John's response? Oh man, let it be so. Let me do it then. You know, let's, let me baptize you. And so we're here in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where it says, Now blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I wanna, what, us, what I want us to hear today is that Jesus has done it. He has done it. It's, it's not about us trying to work to accomplish anything. Those good works, they're, they're nice, they're wonderful, they give glory to God if we're testifying to Him and His truth. But that's not our righteousness at all. Our righteousness is is found in the fact that God has fulfilled his covenant to us, his people. Right. So I want to point out three things because I said something earlier that when Jesus is going through the Beatitudes, he's revealing the path, right, that we should walk as believers in him. And so how I want to I want to explain real quickly how this Beatitude Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How this fits into the path. The first, first one is that when we see hunger and thirst, righteousness must become our most pressing need. Those words hunger and thirst point to the core of our need as, as human beings. He's pointing to our physical hungering and thirsting, which keep in mind, Jesus, what happened just... I'm not sure exactly, but just a few days, maybe a week before, Jesus is in the desert, right? Fasting, no water, no food for 40 days. 40 days. You think Jesus knew what it meant to be hungry? You think he knew what it meant to thirst? Probably better than any of us. I love Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, because it says this. It's, it's like one of the most blunt verses in the Bible. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I mean, if you can't think that's God's sense of humor, then you don't know God has a sense of humor. It's like, well, yes, of course. He hadn't eaten or drunk anything for 40 days. So Jesus is telling us in this beatitude, that's the craving we should have for righteousness. That's the craving we should have for being right with God, understanding that he's fulfilled the covenant. And then secondly, when we look at the word righteous in here, this should be the pivot point from being inwardly focused 
to outwardly focus. In the list of Beatitudes, we're walking the path. This is when we go, oh my gosh, I've been reconciled to God because of what he's done. I need to get the word out to other people. I need to get them to understand that this is how we can be reconciled to God. That's one of the deepest desires we have as human beings. We may not see it. People may not put their finger on that if they don't believe, if they proclaim that they don't believe in God. But this is our heart's cry and our heart's desire is to be made right with the holy God, our creator. And this is how it's been done through the blood of Jesus Christ. You guys hopefully have held your place there in Matthew, I mean in 2 Corinthians 5, because I'm going to go back to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look back, start in verse 17 there, the same chapter. Paul talks about this burning in his stomach, the way the hunger that he wanted to satisfy himself, how that's been outwardly focused now. Listen, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? we got to share the gospel, guys. We have to share the gospel. Snatch others from the fire, as Jude would say. And then the last point that I want, us, I want us to notice here in the path that we're walking is that he says the word we, words, we will be filled. We have assurance of our salvation. Christ has done it. He's paid that penalty. It's, it's never come about by anything that we could do, that we could earn our own salvation. Admission Admission into God's kingdom, into Christ's kingdom, is not a yes, but transaction. It's not a yes, I'm saved, but I still need to read the Bible every day. Or yes, but I still need to go to church. Or yes, but I still need to share my faith with everybody. Or yes, but I need to, I need to stop drinking on Friday and Saturday nights. Now listen, all those things... Those are good, righteous acts that the Spirit may be moving in our hearts, sanctifying us to do that. Being in God's Word, man, you guys have to be in it every single day. Even if it's just a little paragraph that you're reading through. If you just read through the Beatitudes every single day, you've got to be washing yourself in His Word. But that is not the righteousness that makes us holy before God. It's not. The righteousness that brings us in, into reconciliation with God is what Christ did on the cross. His death, his blood, his burial, his resurrection, and the fact that he's sitting on the cross, I mean, on the, on the throne now. That's what reconciles us to God. And the Spirit is what moves us, sanctifies us throughout the, uh, our lives to give testimony that God has done it, has fulfilled it, right? And so my question, we're going to have a time of invitation, but my question to you is, where are you today? Are you, are you someone who has never 
heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you someone who's never placed your faith in Him? Have you, have you lived your life as a rebel and an enemy of God, even though He's extending that hand of grace, that hand of reconciliation? He's like, I know you are filthy and you are terrible, but while you were still in that sin, I died for you. So the call is right now is if that's you, come be reconciled. Come be reconciled. Come as a beggar before God. Come poor in spirit. You can be made right today. You can be made right through faith in Jesus Christ. Or are you guys maybe someone who's done this? You've done the routine of walking up front. You've done the routine of, of praying a prayer which is not what makes you righteous either. It's, it's the transformation that God does in your heart. You've done that. You've been baptized. But you realize that you've been relying on your own righteousness. Satan has implanted some seed of doubt in your mind where you're thinking, okay, but I still need to do all this stuff if I want to be made right before God. I'm not right unless I'm doing this. I'm not, I can't have peace. I can't live at peace. If that's, if that's you today, the altar is open as well. I would love to pray with you and pray the truth of God over you. Or lastly, if you're a believer that has believed those things and know that you are righteous before God through, through Christ's sacrifice, but you've not been, had that burning in your soul and your stomach for the lost. That's my, my call today is, come on, First Baptist. There are lost people out there. Gary's organizing the Mission Kingsland group that's going to be going out. When, in a couple of weeks, Gary? Today. Going out today to knock on doors and share the righteousness of God. And I think we're going to have, what, six, eight people sign up? We got, man, we've got to be an army, guys. And, and here's the thing. If you haven't done that and you haven't been committed to that, the altar's open to you as well. Come, you may feel like, like Moses. You may feel, you know, like you can't, you know, you know, I can't speak. I don't know how to talk to somebody. Well, it's the Spirit working through you. He's going to use that weakness to bring him glory. And so the altar's open. I ask my dad to come up. We're going to sing uh, an invitation song here. Uh, Daryl and Lisa are going to come up here. My wife and I, Catherine, are going to be over here on the side. And I ask that you guys take, maybe take a few moments Ask yourself, where are you? Are you in one of those three places? If you're not, praise God. Pray for those who are. Pray for those who are so we will respond now. Let's sing together. Let's continue to worship as we have this invitation.